0: Let's talk about, so uh, love, Agent. Wait, what's that about? Um, we talk a lot about love at church, at our church, at Venture Church, at uh, any church. In fact, it's a, it's a common topic in society. Love is an interesting word because it really is, it's become a relative word. I mean, like, I love Freezy Pops, but I also love my wife. So she's like, so, um, you know, is there something going on between you and Freezy Pop? Like, you know, love is like, it's got this broad, definition. And we apply it to a lot of things. I'm thankful for pop culture and music for giving us some great ways of looking at love. I want to sing some songs to you this morning. I'm in a theater. I'm feeling a little bit, little bit v- vocal this morning. You guys can join me. Uh, but how about this one? <clears throat> Loving you is easy because you're, because you if you were ugly, like I'm not sure it would work out. That's what this song teaches, right? Like, if you're beautiful, I love you, but it's a little harder when you're not pretty. Here's another one. You lost that love and feeling. Sing it. Oh, that love and feeling. Yeah, we're not going to do the whole song. The Righteous Brothers, man, they they defined it. Love is, by the way, a feeling, right? And it's something apparently you can lose, like your car keys. It was there, and now it's not there anymore. So that's, you know, that's like a definition that we think of love or a way of looking at. Queen nailed it. It's a crazy little thing called love, and let me tell you what, I'm guilty, right? We get crazy when love gets involved. We move all over the world. We, do, we spend ex- exorbitant amounts of money. We get, we get crazy. Uh, I think that Miss Whitney nailed it the best. And she said, <clears throat> I'm not doing it. Nobody should sing that song but Whitney. I'm just telling you. She said, I, I will always love you. And I'm like, man, she's talking to me. And it's, it's cool to think of things like that. I am pretty sure Tina Turner asked the best question. And it's something we're gonna kinda hark on like a chorus to this message today. And she said, you know what she said? She said, What's love got to do? Got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? And that's a question I really want to answer today. And Tina, if you're listening, if you get our podcast, I don't know. We're gonna work on answering that question today, because I think love has a lot to do with it. In fact, I think love has everything. To do with it, Let me bring you up to date. We're in week six of this uh, series to the life of Moses. Moses, a God chaser story. And our, our church has a three-part goal. And I'm going to drill it into our heads over this series because we got to know, Love Agent Week comes from this. We want to be these three things. If you know it, say it with me because we've been practicing. We want to be God chasing, grace shaped love agents. We're going to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. These are things we want to do. What is a God-chaser? This is a God-chaser series. A God-chaser is someone who is fully devoted to bringing glory to God with their life. And so that's what this series is. It's looking at the life of Moses to see how did he do that? Did he devote his life to bringing glory to God? And how can we do that in this crazy, mixed-up world that we live in today? Studying the life of Moses has been really cool, and we've been doing it. This is the sixth week in a row now, and next week will be the last week of this series. Uh, but last week, we kind of started out by camping out with the nation of Israel, uh, the Hebrew people. They've been released from 400 years of slavery. Moses, God used Moses to do that. Sp- if you've missed any of that, check out our podcast. We're on iTunes. You can also look at uh, our website, jointheventure.com on the resources tab. But catch up, because uh, as we've been going through the life of Moses, we've been seeing God create this nation, the Israelite nation, the Hebrews and but last week we started camping out alongside them at this place called Mount Sinai where God has kind of he's kind of descended down to the top of this mountain and it's we painted it last week an incredible scene there's like thunder and lightning it's like an earthquake's going on it's like they're hearing this loud trumpet all the time they're terrified because the presence of God is on this mountain and then he just begins to speak to the people and what does he tell them he gives them his law And he starts out with what we commonly call the Ten Commandments. Last week, we covered the first uh, four commandments. Today, we're going to hit the last six. Jesus talked about these Ten Commandments. He talked about a lot of the commandments from the Old Testament. And someone asked him once, like, "Can, can you tell us what's the most important commandment? Like, how do we decide? And he said, all of the law can be summed up in these two ideas. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, God chasing Love agents. That's where we get that from. And so when you look at that, it's really cool. You can actually take the Ten Commandments and they easily fit in those two categories loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving others as myself. Last week we covered what does it mean to love God? And we identified and unveiled that we pretty much stink at it. We're not really great at it, but God's given us grace through Jesus. And that's, that was the, the really cool thing we landed on last week. But this week, as we get to the final six, we look at that second half of what Jesus says is the most important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Love God. Love people. What's love got to do? Got to do with it? If you looked at the Ten Commandments, you're like, I'm not sure the word love is in the Ten Commandments. I'm not positive. Let's look at the last six and see what does love got to do, got to do with it. Um, We're gonna just read all the Ten Commandments, okay? We're gonna start, we did it last week, but this is the word of God, so man, can we listen to it? This is Exodus chapter 20, uh, starting at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. Now imagine there's like an earthquake and it sounds like a loud trumpet and you're terrified. This is the way these people are feeling when they're hearing it. God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Here's a review if you were here last week. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on earth or beneath it or in the waters. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I show love, there's the word, to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's the second, third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Forth. remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days, days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, which is a stop and rest period and worship period. To the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or your daughters or your male and female servants or your animals or foreigners residing in your towns. For six days, the Lord, in six days the Lord has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. We start with the last six right now. Number five, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And number ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. You should not uh, covet his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What's love got to do with it? All that. All that, let's, let's unpack it. We're gonna do like we did last week and just kind of pull out those, kind of extrapolate those parts of the commandments and say, what, what are they, what do they mean? So let's just kind of go one by one and each thing has kind of a teaching point. Let's just see where love really ties in and how Jesus uh, is teaching us to obey these. Number five, it starts with honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Um, I'm a parent, I've got two kids. Uh, my son is 10, my daughter just turned eight this week wow, if you have kids older than my kids, don't tell me how fast they grow up. I know, okay? I would have just enjoyed eight and 10 right now, but right, don't they just fly by? But as a dad, like, I love this commandment. Honor your father and mother, like, read your Bible, son. Honor your father and mother. And so when we hear this passage, we obviously, we think, first of all, Children like minors, like little people. And uh, granted, the majority of the children in our church are like down the hallway and they're not in here. And so you can take notes and give them to them. But, you know, the, this, the summary of this passage that most of the time we walk away with is obey your parents. The, it says honor. And as you look through the different translations, I think honor is a really good translation of what's there. Is there a difference between honor and obey? We're not going to have that debate right now. But the, the question is, what does it mean to really honor somebody? And this is what I've learned as a parent. As a parent, sometimes I'm wrong. I walk in, my kids are, I think they're arguing over something, and I jump in, I fly off the handle, believe it or not, and like someone gets punished, and someone gets like, thrown in their room and spanked or whatever, and, and like, and, like I, and, then, and then like 10 minutes later, like I step in and I get the whole story, I'm like, oh shoot, wow. They were playing a game in which they were, uh, I don't know, like, and I was, wrong, I was completely wrong, and I, I'm probably the only parent that's done that, right? No, like, we're wrong sometimes, and so then as a parent, I hope that you do this too, I have to go to my kids and say, look, I was wrong about that, I'm sorry. I should have been more patient with you, I should, whatever, whatever. But here's the thing, my kids are still supposed to honor me, even though I'm wrong. And if that's not like the, one of the worst deals in the world, I don't know what is, but it's the way God designed family. We're imperfect, but we still need to have a system by which we can be mentored and guided and led. Now, here's the thing. The kids are down the hall. The rest of us that are adults in here, and some of you kids in here, y'all hear that? I see y'all. All right. I saw some of your parents like, (laughs) that's that's God's word. In fact, it's it's God's clearest word to kids is honor your father and mother. But bigger than this is is this idea that most of us are not kids. But guess what? If your parents are still alive, you're still a child to them. You're still their kid. They're still your parent, and this still applies to you. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? Let, Let me just... Take it to this extreme, because I think, like I I said, I want to go through all of these, and there's a lot to get to. Let's take it to this extreme. Many of you are dealing with your parents who are elderly, aging, and ailing. We've got to remember that when God issued this this portion of the law to the Israelites, they're forming a new nation, and there's no Medicare or nursing homes or retirement villages or in-home health care. Like, what's the plan for the old people? The young people. That's the plan. That's how we're going to take care of them. And so God says, listen, I want you to take care of them, honor them so that you can live long in the the land that I'm giving you. And some of you are going through that right now. You're dealing with the stress and the pain and the uncertainty and the doubt and the I don't even know what to do of a parent who's going through the roughest time of their life. Maybe they don't remember your name anymore. or Maybe it's not quite there, but they're just daggone getting on your nerves. (laughs) What's love got to do with it? See? It goes, it extends, the, the thought goes on and loving people begins with understanding what it means to honor the people that brought us into this world, even when they're wrong. And so God wants us to understand that there's a lot more that the Bible says about that, but it's just, it's something that kind of gets us going this morning. Um, number six, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Uh, now, most of us would probably think, okay, that says enough, I'm good. Um, <laughs> I haven't killed anybody recently. If you have killed somebody, I hope that's like you've dealt with it. Turn yourself in. Um, but this murder piece, uh, first of all, let's just talk about it. You mur- what is murder? Murder is like this this, uh, this, this is killing in an act of like rage or anger or I'm upset or I don't want you to be alive anymore. That's like the, the surface level thing. There are other types of killing that happen. There's like civil punishment, like maybe an execution sentence by the government. And there's war and there's killing that happens in that God deals with those things in different areas and so I'm not even gonna go down that rabbit hole right now. He does deal with those things and God does give authority to government to do different things. And It's it's, it's actually been helpful and sometimes taken advantage of. But this is clear. Don't murder. So what is murder? Uh, Jesus talks a lot uh, about uh, the law and about the commandments when he's teaching and when he gets to this section, it's in Matthew chapter five through seven. There's this big teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, and as he goes through this, he talks about all these things that the Jews live by as their law. And when he gets to murder, he says, "I want to let you know something. Murder isn't just a physical act that you do to somebody. Murder begins in your heart." He says, "Actually, this is Jesus's word, so don't get mad at me." He says, that "Anytime you hate somebody, you have murdered them in your heart, because the act of hate. What is hate?" Hate, I want to kind of give you a food for thought because we're going to look at kind of a triangle of, of what love is. And, and starting with love, understanding the sacrificial love that God has for us and that we're kind of seeking that. What is hate? I think that's part of that triangle. I want to call tra- hate, uh, you might think of it as a, the, the, the opposite of love. I don't think it's the opposite of love. I think hate is the absence of love. It's like in a whole different planet than love. Because there's not even a, a trickle of love happening when you, when you have hate. I had already written some of this this week, and then I got the news yesterday about this another atrocity that happened up in Charlottesville, Virginia. You might not have heard it. You might have been hanging out with the family, didn't catch the news, Um, but there was uh, another senseless uh, death that happened in Charlottesville, and it happened because of hate. It began with a bunch of white supremacists that were having a rally, and they were counter protesters of all shapes and colors, and I loved that part. And then someone else decided to drive a car into the crowd of those counter-protesters. And that person lost their mind. The whole thing was was seeded in hate. There's no room for hate in the kingdom of God. It is the absence of love. God says, I am love, and if you, if you don't love, you don't know me. And in our culture, you know, we don't talk about it a lot in our church. We're, we're like, reasonably diverse church. But you know that, like, Sunday morning is, like, the most segregated time in all of American time. And I'm talking about racism here, right? I'm talking about black and white. And there are a lot of other nationalities that have come into our melting pot that is America. And we like to get with our own and stay with our own and kind of be a little bit nervous of the other. There's no room for that. It starts with uncomfortable, but man, you guys have seen it. We've seen it in this town. This town has been a hotbed of racism and hate and killing and violence. Why? Because those seeds of uncomfortable have grown into just fruit of hate. I got to say, there's no room for that, not a bit. And the answer to that is not answer back with more anger and more hate. But in the absence of love, what needs to be poured in? Love. I love, guys, look, we're a predominantly Caucasian church here. And it's, it's obvious. Those of you who aren't are like, yeah, you, you finally mentioned it. Um, I love the relationship we've built with many of the churches that are putting on the back-to-school bash. Because though maybe we got culturally different things happening in church, we recognize that we serve the same Lord and the same city, and we want to shine the same light into that darkness. And I love that on that day, I'm a minority. Oh, it's so great to walk in and be like, yes, I want to walk in and see, what does it mean to love my brother and sister? I hadn't planned on going this far into this, but just what, what I saw happen yesterday, and there's a lot of preacher friends of mine on Facebook, and there's outcry, and there's rage, and, and I'm pissed. And so are the rest of us. But what good does that do? We got to love. We got Love Agent Week coming up. We got this, this, this card I had in my pocket. We got this card that's in your seats. all these listed things. Man, get out of your comfort zone and spend some time with somebody that's different than you. Forget the rest of the list. If you're going to do that, do that. Do only that. And tell them, I'm sorry, I'm a little uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm just trying to make friends. I'm trying to expand my comfort zone because I'm trying to love. Doesn't have to be under any kind of other pretense. to say, look, I just, I want to do better about bringing this city together, about bringing our nation together. Can we do that as a church? Can we do this as a family? Let's love. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. What's love got to do with it? everything we gotta check ourselves number seven is even more fun <laughs> you shall not commit adultery <laughs> let's jump into that one right you shall not commit adultery um you know adultery is this it's, it's a it's a blurry uh it's a blurry definition we give it i don't know it's really adultery it was just kind of like i don't know it's kind of flirty i'm not sure can, we, can i define adultery this is i mean i made it up i'm not the doctor of words but um I'm going to call adultery anytime marital love, attention, or affection is given to anyone that's not your spouse. Affection, attention, love, physical touch, anytime, anyone that's not your spouse. And here's the thing, it's not limited just to married people. Because if you're not married, you can still commit adultery by this definition. And when Jesus talks about the commandments, he talks about murder, and he says it happens in your heart as a form of hate, he says the same thing about adultery. He says anytime you you harbor lusts in your heart for another person, you have committed adultery with them in your heart. And what's crazy is they don't even know about it sometimes. <laughs> it just happens. It's a heart thing. And our culture has made such a mockery and a joke of, of marriage. But guys, God has got a plan for marriage. Sex and marriage is God's idea. And he's got a plan and a purpose for it. And when we go uh, ruining that by softening what we call marriage and how we, uh, and how we approach one another in relationships, something like 50% or more of marriages end in divorce. And it's sad because it's a covenant that supposedly we make with someone else before God. It's God's idea. But we treat it more like a lease agreement. Like you have 60 days notice, if you found a better deal somewhere, you can just trade up, it's fine. It's not the way God sees it. And so it's just, this is God's word. It's not me talking. It's just, this is what he says. I mean, th- this whole idea of uh, cohabitation, living together and playing house and being married and, and sex outside of marriage and all these things like this is glorified on TV and it's funny and it's cool and it's erotic and it gets our attention. It's all outside of God's plan. And it's right into the adultery vein and pornography and romance novels and an obsession with a celebrity and, and a flirty re- relationship with a co-worker. It's all in that same vein. And Jesus says, it's not my plan. What does love got to do with it? Everything. And so in order to not only honor God and his desire for what these relationships should be, but also honoring and loving the other people that are involved, even if they're just images we see on a computer screen, to honor them and love them enough to say, I'm not going there with you. Do not commit adultery. We haven't fun yet, murder, adultery, <laughs> what's next? Y'all should sign up for being a preacher, it's great. <laughs> Visit us at a connection hub, we've got a list. There's a few more announcements to get through, and the foundation has been laid for the rest of them, so they'll go a little quicker, but the eighth commandment um, is, is uh, well, it says you shall not steal, and what's love got to do with it? I thought a lot about this stealing thing this week, and and I said hatred is the uh, absence of love. I've always called stealing, not stealing, I've always called selfishness the opposite of love. So in this triangle, you've got love, this pure love, the opposite of love being selfishness, because love is like about someone else. I want to do this for you, I want to do this for you. Selfishness is about me. I want to do this for me, I want to do this for me. So you see how they're opposite. You take love out of the equation, it's just hatred. Why is stealing so bad? Because this is selfish, man. You take somebody's food, what are you doing? You're taking food out of their mouth. You take somebody's money, you're taking money that they were going to you know, uh, use to pay their bills, or maybe they were saving it, or God blessed them with a job. You take someone's car, you take their ability to go to work, you take someone's child, kidnapping and stealing, you break a family. Stealing erodes the foundation of society. And, you know, I think in a general sense, we're pretty uh, honest people. But I noticed one thing is that outside every co- coffee house that I do work out of, because I don't have an office, but I work at coffee houses, there's a bike rack, and people lock their bikes up. And when friends of mine who work in coffee houses, like, run to the bathroom and leave their laptop on the desk, there's that little bit of nervousness, like, is this going to still be here when I get back? And people break into our cars and then into our houses. So it's obviously a problem. What's love got to do with it? You know what? It is hard to steal from somebody you love. And if you do, you realize you've got a problem. If you got an issue with that, with stealing, uh, get help for it. Because you need to realize you're not only just being dishonest, you're not loving. What's love got to do with it? Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Uh, Shorten this. I'm going to shorten it to don't lie. Don't be a liar. I I tell my kids that uh, lying is one of the worst things they can do. You know why. I mean, if you've been lied to, you know why. It erodes trust, it destroys relationship, it erodes credibility. When, uh, when, when Jesus is def- talking about the devil, Satan, okay, this is like the personification of all evil, in uh, John chapter 8, verse 44, listen to what he says about Satan. He says, when he lies, when he, Satan lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Check it, guys, when we lie, we're speaking Satan's language, No such thing as a little white lie. It's translation into another language. It's it's, it's Satan speak. We can't give false testimony against our neighbor. When God uh, was initially giving this This rule, uh, it was a legal idea. Uh, He was establishing a nation, and any good nation is going to have a good judicial system. And so he was saying, listen, when you're in a court of law, don't give false testimony. Why? Because you can't come to a fair verdict if people are lying. So that's why in our country we put a hand on the Bible, and we promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But that's a principle that God has for all of us, that we should be truth tellers. Truth is foundational to who Jesus is. I am the way, the truth in the life and no one comes to the father through me that's something jesus says about himself what's love got to do with it you can't be speaking the language of the devil and still be loving somebody that's what love's got to do with it don't give false testimony don't lie finally number 10 it's a little longer so i'm gonna read it again because it's it might even be something that um you need to think about you shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband, by the way, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's just leave that up there. Just kind of take that in. That's kind of a, it seems kind of old worldly. Like, what does it mean, thou shalt not covet, you know? Something my grandmother had, you know, embroidered in the bathroom. Like, what is, what is that? Covet is a word we don't use as much anymore, but it's a really good word. To covet something means to desire it. And so, um, the, the people have shortened this commandment, you shall not covet But that's not the commandment, for one thing. (laughs) And it's also something, I don't think God wants us to not covet. He wants us to desire some things. He wants us to desire good things. He wants us to desire love. He wants us to desire uh, a relationship with Him. He wants us to desire lots of things. So it specifically lays out, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And it goes through a lot of other things. Coveting is the embryonic form of so many other terrible things. You follow my idea? It's like a seed. Coveting is like the beginning growth of almost every other sin why'd you punch him? Well, I was angry. Why? I wanted to be right. I desired coveting. I desired to be right. Why'd you take that? Why'd you steal that? I desired it. I coveted it. I wanted it. Why did this happen in your marriage? Why why was there an affair? I wanted that. I desired that. And so when God comes down, it's really neat that it's the 10th commandment, because I almost wonder, it should be like, you should have no other gods before me. You shall not covet. And like, that would probably summarize the whole thing. But I think it's, God's brilliant in this that he put some nice bookends on these commandments. Because he's like, look, if you can't remember all the other stuff, you need to remember it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. What's love got to do with it? Everything. It's not about you. Don't go around trying to take something that's not yours. Don't try to love something that's not yours. Now, here's the thing. We see things that we like, and we can be glad that other people have that. We can celebrate that that's going on. And maybe if we do the right things and if we... You know, if God blesses us, we can have some of those things too, but not at the expense of sin. I've heard it said that coveting, when it's fully played out, is when you're willing to do something simple to get the thing that you desire. And that's where we all come to the ground and go, oh, yeah, (laughs) you have probably coveted before. What's love got to do with it? I think it's got everything to do with it. And I think this last commandment leads us to the probing question that kind of wraps things up for us What do you desire? Why are you here today? Why am I here today? We hoping there's a movie playing, right? That's facetious. It's tongue in cheek. But what do you want? Like when you wake up in the morning, what do you want? When you go to bed at night, what do you want? Why are you in the relationship that you're in? Why are you have the job that you? What do you desire? Because I think God wants us to give us wants to give us the desires of our heart. He wants to bless us as long as those things are honoring to Him. And the cool thing about this last commandment is God's like, listen. The main thing you need to understand is. You don't need to want what I'm not giving you. I'm going to give you what you need. And if you seek me first, I will bless you in those ways. Bringing it home. Like last week, I stand, I look at this list, I get to the end of my little notes page in my computer, I'm like, how do you wrap this up? How do you wrap up the Ten Commandments? There, go for, go. therefore and sin no more. Um, that's a gr- I should do that, that's the way Jesus ended most of his lessons, uh peace. <laughs> um, but, but really, like while we're standing here and I'm looking at this and I'm like, I got no business. Giving. If I look at the Ten Commandments, I'm like, well, I broke all of them according to Jesus' definition. All, every one of the commandments I've broken. So, you know, maybe I should sit down and maybe one of you guys should get up here. But I, we're all in the same boat. And so like last week, I look at this and go, well, what do we do? And so I, I want to remind us of really the bring it home point last week. And that is that even though we've messed up, God's plan for us is not that we, uh, God God knows that we're not going to be perfect. He knows we're going to mess up. And so that's why he gave us Jesus. God came to us in the form of a human named Jesus. And listen to this passage. This is from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. It says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, read, while I was still messing up and deep in my sin, while I was still not having my eyes on God, just the right time while we were still powerless, Christ That's God in the flesh. He died for the ungodly, people like you and me. You know, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since now, we've been justified. You know what justified means? It's like Made as if it never happened. God looks at us and "Like you're good. You're good. If you come to me, if you give me your burdens, if you will live your life for me, if you'll do your best to love me, if you'll obey me, I'll make it. I'll make you justified." When I was in uh, Sunday school as a kid, I remember a teacher saying, "It was justified means just as if I'd never sinned." And it's memorable because that's what justification is. Verse nine again. So since we've been justified by Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Good news. If you've messed up on the commandments like I have, you don't have to be subject to God's wrath. So many churches and ministries have been built on the concept of knocking on someone's door and scaring, excuse the expression, but scaring the hell out of them by expressing that maybe the only reason we turn to God is to not go to hell. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain that that could be further from the truth. The reason to live for God is because he loves us and we just want to love him back. And his desire is not to send anybody to hell. In fact, I would say he doesn't send anybody to hell. We go by our choices. We choose. I want to live apart from you. That's where that is. But God says, I've justified you. If you will turn to me, i got your back. So what do we do with these Ten Commandments? This no longer becomes a checklist of how you uh, get into heaven. It becomes a list of the things that God loves. And if you love somebody and you've been in a relationship, remember in like the third grade and you bought that ridiculous bunny for that girl, or you know what I mean? And you're like, you, I love you. And they like, that was just me. She threw it on the ground. It was, it was embarrassing. Um, but we look at God and go, what can I get for you? Well, you can put me first. You can put me first. You can uh, love others as much as you possibly can. You can honor my name. You can take a day out of your week and worship me and rest. You want to love me? This is the list of things I want for Christmas. And suddenly the Ten Commandments isn't as daunting, and we can stand before them and go, oh, man, not I got to do that, but I get to do that. As Jesus was talking about these commandments, someone said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, well, it's to love of the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Guys, let's go out of here and let's love this world and let's take the examples that are given us in scripture say this is how i do it what's love got to do with it everything let me just pray for us today god you're good thank you for your grace and for your mercy thank you for the ability to be loved by you despite our faults and our flaws God, thank you for the grace that you've given even me to stand here knowing knowing me And you say, look, just speak truth. And I pray, Lord, that you empower each one of us in this room to be that person in someone else's life. To our spouse or our coworker, or our neighbor, our friend from the neighborhood. That we can go to them and say, listen, let me just tell you about God who's just rocked my world. Thank you for this church family. And Lord, as we kind of uh, are getting started in this new place, the movie theater, I I just pray. I thank you for the angelic noises that you throw in the room. I just pray, Lord, as we get started in this, uh, this movie theater, uh, Lord, that you will um, show people their way to us, through, through, through us, through us inviting them, but also just curiosity, what's going on in the theater on Sunday mornings, and Lord, as always, that we'll be that church for, for the person who doesn't necessarily like church, maybe someone who hates church, and just, but what they need is you, they need your love, and they need community with people who get it, so we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.